sarcopenia. Tell me how you feel about that word, that concept, because I know it's something that you're passionate about. Sarcopenia. What does that mean to you? It's the root of all evil, Joe. It is, <laughs> it is. It's the reason that we have a job. Okay. To be honest, it's the reason that we have a job, but it is the root of all evil. Every presentation I give, it is public enemy number one. And when we start to discuss what it is, People go, oh, you mean atrophy? No, if I meant atrophy, I would have used atrophy. What, what sarcopenia is, is the atrophy of muscle mass to a point where you lose function, okay? So it's not just, you know, oh, I'm, I, I broke my ankle and now I'm bedridden and I can't do anything for six or eight weeks. And when you get the cast off, your leg looks smaller. That's atrophy, okay? What's occurred though, is if you try to run or walk on that leg, you can't do what you used to do. You are now full-blown sarcopenic, okay? Now, atrophy, without going too deep into it, 10 to 14 days, that's atrophy. You'll lose upwards of 5 to 6% of your muscle mass. After 14 days, we're looking at significant chunks, okay? 5 to 10% of your muscle mass, which is big. And we're talking 30, 40-year-old people. This isn't just an older person disease. It's more prevalent in older people, but this can happen to anybody. You can get osteoporosis in your 30s, especially if you're female, et cetera. So sarcopenia is kind of the root of all of it. And if you look at any disease any injury, anything, the weakness of that only exacerbates it. If someone has cancer, if somebody has um, any, any type of internal immune-based system disease, if their muscular system is, is greater, stronger, they have a better opportunity of overcoming it or not even getting it in the first place. So it's, it's literally the linchpin to sickness. It's the linchpin that's holding together opportunities for us to get injured. It's fall risk for older pops. It's a pain in the ass, man. And it's and it's like the the thing that I everybody knows osteoporosis, everybody knows atrophy. Nobody knows the word sarcopenia. And so that's become my mission in my life. My dharma in life is to to spread this <laughs> word to people where when they hear it, they think me and number one. And then they also think of, hey, I got to make sure my clients as they age, they don't get this because the the future is not bright if somebody has this disease. They become Mr. Glass. Okay. Opportunities to get injured are right around every corner and it sucks. It sucks to see family members go through that, loved ones go through it. So I want to arm people with as much information as I can to not have that happen. And I think that's really interesting because like you said, I think as you go through, even as a new personal trainer, you hear, even if you don't learn in the textbooks, a lot about atrophy, because it's not a huge topic, but you, you learn about that. Maybe you've been injured in the past and you see some muscle loss and, and then the word sarcopenia, right? I think people kind of connect to that. I know at later stages of life, and I think that's an interesting thing we can tackle. Like what is a later stage of life mm -hmm. that, you know, these things happen, you might lose muscle mass, you know, but I don't think most people have really a concept as to like when it really starts. So maybe that's something that you can give us some insight into. Sure. Like when does this start for people? You know, because I think yeah. most people do think like, oh, sarcopenia, you know, like seventies, eighties, um, but yeah, it's not really the case. Way sooner. It is way sooner. So the word sarcopenia is Latin for poverty of the flesh. And basically that poverty of your flesh occurs with non-use. So there have been cases in mid to early 20s of individuals uh, that, not to pick on gaming or computers, but who just literally never do anything other than sit at a desk and do whatever they do on computers that are diagnosed with sarcopenia in their early 20s. And it's because they do not physically put their arms over their head or run or squat or jump or do anything athletic. They sit, they sleep, they sit, they sleep. 
Now, if you look at the average like 70 or 80 year old, what do they do? They sit, they sleep. They're not terribly active either. So it doesn't necessarily have to go with an age category, okay? though it is more common in the older adult. It has to go with a movement category. Are you up and moving and active and, and agile and able and strong? Because there are plenty of 70 and 80 year olds out there, plenty of them who are not sarcopenic. It doesn't mean that oh, I'm over the age of 70 now, I've got this disease of sarcopenia just because I'm old. That's not the case. So it's, it's developing muscle mass, it's developing movement patterns, abilities, as simple as locomotion, posture, upright, being able to walk a regular gait and not fall down, right? To an age where we're so weak, we're so incapable, they look like Night of the Walking Dead, right? The, the living dead when they're waddling, shuffling, dragging their feet around. I've got videos I show my clients when they first came in, how they like zombie up the driveway. And then six months later, they're up with their heads up, walking off to go play pickleball. And I'm like, look at the difference that you've made. That's the difference from muscle mass, right? To no muscle mass. And, and we don't mean like hypertrophy, they got to be jacked and their necks go away and all that. I just mean like the ability to physically, capably, actively manipulate some kind of load groceries, right? Uh, walk their dog and not get yanked off their feet, like go out and play recreational sports. These are all things that will keep them physically active and keep sarcopenia at bay. So it can happen to anybody. Now to scientifically look at it a little bit more, there is more research done with the 50 to 55 age bracket as kind of a criteria for an, a chronological age. That's where we're seeing most of the changes occur between 50 and 60 is when we see people kind of go over the hump and they're on their way down. Now, via most of the charts and such, it's right around 30, 35 is like our peak potential, but then that kind of just kind of stays from 35 to about 45 or 50. And then we really start to drop off if we're not physically active, if we're not resistance training, sleeping well, eating well, good protein intake, all that kind of thing across the board to maintain muscle mass. And they drift down towards something called the disability threshold which as it sounds, when you hit the disability threshold, you're disabled. You would now rely on someone else to take care of you, right? From the simplicities of prepping food or helping you get dressed all the way to the point of getting you up and out of bed and moving wherever you are, you now have to depend on someone else for your existence. And, and again, that's not a case that's like, well, you're over 80 now. Here's, you know, Albert, he's going to take care of you. Like that's not, that's not necessary. If people are capable and they stay strong, you should be able to be 105, putting on your own shoes, still going grocery shopping, staying strong and doing this. And it's it's getting that stereotypical excuse of you're old and it's okay to be frail out of your mindset and understanding that younger people can be, you know, fully sarcopenic as well if they're not being active. It's all about being active. And at the root of all that is resistance training. I love that. And, you know, I, I think there's quite a few things to unpack in there. And I think yeah. one of those, it is really interesting. I think about, you know, no, you're good. I'll go I, forever, dude. I, you're going to have to stop me. You're going to be like, okay, let's hold on. Let's talk about this. Cause I'll just keep going for me, moving to moving to South Florida, being near a very active, vibrant aging population. It was a drastic difference for me growing up in the Midwest, you know, living on a farm and growing up with grandparents that like, unfortunately passed away in their mid sixties. And then in my mind at a younger age, right? Even growing up throughout training in my mind, I was like, oh, like that must, that's what old is, right? Like older is like, you know, that my grandparents passed at 65 and then you get around different populations. And, and we can talk about that too, how this is distributed differently around the country. And you're like, oh my gosh, wow, that is actually so young um, in the grand scheme. 
But what is it? What do you think that is societally? And I, I know I want to, you know, we're going to keep it geared even more towards training and personal trainers. But I think the psychology behind this, I would imagine is really important to succeed with the clients you're working with is like, yeah. what is it in our society that at a certain age that it just seems like that's what you do? You just stop doing things. You stop moving. Why is that? I know exactly what you mean, because I remember my parents answering all the time. Well, I'm old, right? That that would just be the answer. Like, why don't you guys go out and do that? Well, I'm old. We don't do that anymore. And I'm like, what? why? I, I kind of feel like that's changed. And and I hate to say it this way, but I kind of feel like like that mindset's kind of died off, right? And like the next generation, like the, the, the later boomers, I think the boomers were like 45 to 68 or something like that. It's like yep. the 60 to 68s are the ones that we're kind of like, hey, maybe we should try lifting weights. Like maybe we don't need to listen to the first generation of boomers, right? That that's just, we're old and that's how, you know, the ship's going to sink. Like maybe we should try to preserve this a little longer. And I feel like they're the ones that like at 60, we're going, I'm going to get a gym membership. I'm going to go hire a trainer. And they're they're changing that mind, that that mindset, that shift. I have a, a presentation I did on the, the 10, um, we call them like, um, uh, common practices. And it was like, your doctor says not to do deadlifts and don't press anything over your head and never move quickly and don't exercise on your own. And it's like all these things that are like common that everybody says, like, this is the way that it's supposed to be because you're older. Right. And they're all incorrect. There's, there's nothing, there's no line where it's like, now that you're this age, you shouldn't do this anymore. That is, that is, chronological aging. And what we really need to look at is biological aging, right? What are you capable of? What is your body capable of handling? Let's give you programming that is appropriate for that. There are 70 year olds that are well-trained their whole life that can do what a 30 year old who's untrained can't do and vice versa, right? Like it doesn't matter the age really. It's, it's let me look at the person in front of me and give a program that will fit their needs currently. Don't worry about their age necessarily. So it's breaking those stereotypes, getting rid of those mindsets of like old people shouldn't be in the gym lifting weights, old people shouldn't do deadlifts. Can you think of another demographic? Let me let's go through this, okay? You've got bone density issues, you have muscle mass issues, you have risks of falling down constantly, you can't stand up straight, your cognition is failing, you're you're constant you're a constant uh, one inch away, one second away from scaring everybody in the room that you're going to fall down. And they're always insisting you not do anything because they're worried you're going to hurt yourself. Can you think of a person who needs resistance training more in their life than what I just described to you? Thank you. I think you're and right yet, on it. And, and yet the doctors are like, no, 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 no don't do deadlifts. Why? why? That, that's exactly what they need to do are deadlifts. That's exactly what they need to do are deadlifts. <laughs> and they need to pull from overhead and they need to press from overhead and they need to carry things and they need to do lunges and they need to do step ups because that's what they're doing in life. And if you train for those, they should be able to do them forever. It shouldn't matter how old they are. They're just capable. Yeah. And you're, I think you're right. There's a lot of fear. And I think even for the other trainers who might be listening to this and uh, funny, even recently in one of our recent podcast episodes, you know, we had a, a young, a young female trainer who was on who that she works with a lot of older population as well. And I verbalized to her, I said, I still remember thinking back to when I first started training and I was scared of working with an older individual, right? Again, whatever age that was, I was like, I don't want to hurt them. Right. Which is like understand, yeah. understandable. Um, yeah. but unfortunate, right? It's just an, it's an unfortunate mindset that, that I think a lot of new coaches and trainers approach working with an older population with. Were you, were you scared to work with a 20 year old athlete? 
No, it was, I mean, very relevant to like what I knew, yeah. right? You know, it was yeah. like, I knew where I was, um, but knowing what they had gone through. Yeah, you had like flexibility with them knowing like if I screw up a little bit, they're not going to get hurt, right? Yeah. But you get a 70-year-old client and in most gyms, when you go in there, who gets the old client? Usually. The brand new rookie trainer. Yeah, yeah. The, the newest so the, trainer. The, the person who needs the most educated person on the staff, the person that needs the most help gets the least experienced trainer. And the one that's scared and nervous to do anything. So what do they do? Well, let's let's go over to these machines. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with machines. That's a fine place to start. But For after sure. two weeks of adaptation, let's get into some free weights. But then they're like, well, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to progress it. I don't know what's right for them to do right now or not, what load they should be using. All of those questions are answered, not to plug my product, but that's why we started TOA was to answer those questions, right? And to be able to help trainers go, oh, here's where I should start. Not with someone who's over the age of blank, but someone who cannot perform the simplicities of, can you get up and down off the ground? Can you squat to parallel? Can you reach over your head? Can you go up and down stairs? Can you carry eight kilos? If you can't do those five things, then we should look at some different styles and different fashions to train you. And those might start on machines if you have them, but I need that action to be functional. I need it to be applicable to, to real life. And, and having a fixed machine that pivots on a hinge that's got a counterweight on it, I can't really think of anything that I do in life that replicates that. So if I need to do that in the beginning to, to kind of develop a base layer of strength, so I feel more confident when I hand them a kettlebell or a dumbbell and I say squat with this, then that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But know that you're doing a disservice a little bit if you leave them there, right? They need to get into more functional training because their sport is the functionality of life. That's exactly what they're training for. Love that. And, you know, I mean, as we talk right now, I personally consider you, and I speak to our students even in the course about this, who I know have experienced passion or interest, especially in, in specializing in like an older, you know, aging population. Um, I consider you to be one of the top experts in the industry, right? Um, Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm here to, I'm here to build you up and compliment you, Robert. No, I mean, I, I truthfully, I truthfully do feel that way. But I think especially for the people who are listening, who maybe don't have the benefit of knowing you for a long time, like I do now as well, and having followed all that you've been building and doing, what do we need to know about, you know, you, the Robert that sits here right now in front of us to better understand what's gotten you to where you are, you know, as far as like, you know, really niching down in the older yeah. aging population, you know, really developing your expertise, what's gotten you, what led you to this place? I'm, I'm going to try to give you the fastest version of this because this is the half hour story, <laughs> but I'm going to try to do it in like two minutes. Love so that. I was a hammer thrower in college. I was not athletically gifted, but I had a mindset of if I overwork, if I outwork everyone, I'll be able to hang. I was sponsored by Reebok. I was pursuing the Olympic games and I basically did like 25 years worth of damage to my body in about five or six years. Like I just... I if they were throwing 30 throws, I took 60. If they were squatting twice a week, I'd squat 40s. I just, I overtrained myself to death and got into so many injuries and so many, it cut my short, my, my career short. And at, you know, 28, I needed back surgery. I blew up my back and my career throwing the hammer was over. So while I was rehabilitating my back, I wrote about it. And I published an article about how I used rehabbing my back to be able to go climb Mount Rainier in Washington as a motivation for me to get back into something athletic. And that article went all around Sacramento and Sacramento magazine. It got picked up by an outdoor magazine. And all of a sudden I had people that wanted to know about improving their lower back coming to me because they read the article. 
Um, fast forward nine months, I, I start having all these different chest pains and um, I find out that I have a carcinoid tumor in my lung and I have to have my, my lung taken out. And so at 29, I'm, you know, I don't like using the word lung cancer survivor, but I'm a lung cancer surgery survivor. I didn't have to go through treatment. Luckily, I just had a surgery to take it out. So I, I survived rehab basically is, is getting myself back. And, uh, and nine months after that, they took an x-ray and found that I had another tumor in my thyroid. So I had my thyroid taken out. And then four years later, I had arthroscopies to fix both of my hips. And they found that both labrums were gone and I had osteoporosis of the bones and eventually ended up getting hip replacements. And then one of those hip replacements dislocated seven times in 24 hours. Every time they put it back in, it would pop right back out. So I had to have a full revision. And then I had a hernia repair. And then I had three surgeries on my wrist. And just all of these things kept combining. All this damage that I'd done to my body was pretty much self-inflicted with exception of the lung cancer. I never smoked. I never did anything like that. Um, short of that, it was all pretty much self-inflicted. So I learned a lot about what not to do. I learned a lot about what it was like to be an older individual because the majority of what I just told you is, is happening to 16, 70 year olds. And I experienced that at a very young age. I also have an obsessive mindset that if this is what I'm going to rehab, I'm going to find the best way to rehabilitate this. And so with each one of those things, I dove as deep as I could and I interviewed experts and I found the best ways that I could to do it. And then as more clients came to me with those injuries and those symptoms, I already had models for how I did it for myself. So I started to do it with them. And, you know, after five, six years, my entire clientele was 60 and over. And all of those clients are still with me. I've got uh, 15 of my original 15 clients that are still with me. We're coming up on years 20 with all of them. And it's, it's just a opportunity, though a difficult experience going through them. It's, it was an opportunity for, I, I steal that Tony Robbins line, Life, life's not happening to you, it's happening for you. I think that's one of the best ways that we can look at things. And in doing that, we took it all with a grain of salt and laughter the whole time. Like my favorite one was after my hip replacement, I, I undo my gown in the back and I run through the hospital with my ass hanging out, like just, just to be obnoxious and have fun, right? Just to make things awkward and uncomfortable, you know, to, to moon everybody while I'm running around. It was just, I, things were too serious and too deep for me to not have more fun with it and just know like, Hey man, we're, we're going to go through this one step at a time. I've got an amazing wife who's with me through everything. Keegan's just, she's the bomb. And um, I couldn't have done any of that stuff without her, but it, it gave me an opportunity to learn all these things. I write everything down. I track everything, started to teach it to my team that developed into other people in our area and then further and further reach. And eventually we got to a point where somebody said like, Hey, you know, do you think you could put all this together in a fashion where it would be a certificate? And I said, yeah, I think we could do that. So we built one. And that same gentleman uh, came up two years later and said, you've certified me. I do all your programming, all this. Can I just be a TOA affiliate? And that's why I wear the Portland, Texas, because that's where he's at. He was our, he's our number one. He was, this is headquarters and he was our first location. And, you know, fast forward two years and 14 more locations. We've had more opportunities to work with more trainers. We've got 200 ambassadors. We've got, you know, 14 juniors. We've got 15 affiliates. Like we work with a lot of other trainers who are trying to do the same thing, but I don't want you to have to go through all that stuff, you know? <laughs> I just want you to be good and have, be healthy and learn from, you know, all the stuff that I get to put down on, on paper and in all these videos uh, that we do 
to try to help you figure out those first things. What do I do? How do I do it? You know, what load should I use and, and how do I progress them so they don't get hurt? Um, that was longer than two minutes, but give you a little snapshot of, <laughs> we'll, of we'll, we'll go back and we'll go back and time it out. Yeah, um, yeah. but I mean, I, th I think the, uh, not, not everyone's able to do that, right. Have the mindset to take what is obviously just like these continual challenges and kind of turn them into what I see as like a superpower, right. I mean, or your, your own version of a superpower and learning from that. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that that for a lot of coaches that get in, I mean, we have conversations with a lot of personal trainers who are getting into the industry, maybe at different phases of life. And they've gone through a lot of those things. Like they've had back injuries or maybe they're, they themselves, like maybe still aren't where they want to be. Maybe they consider themselves to have like, you know, potentially be overweight or obese. So they've gone through things. And oftentimes that's what we talk about is I'm like, no, these are the experiences that people are going to connect with. Right. Um, 100%. because you're a smart guy, but I would imagine that you know, the fact that you had gone through all these things, it was so much easier for clients to connect with you, you know, or connect with you. Would you agree? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I have a master's degree in personal training and that's, and that's awesome. I learned a lot from that, but I also have a master's degree in like rehabilitating myself from injuries. <laughs> <laughs> just the life experience of all that, it gave me just as much, you know, and so the combo of the two has been really great. It's given me an opportunity to to be able to look at this from a scientific and a research background, but also a hands-on and actionable background. But to your point, I mean, that's the life experience is number one, people connect with that right away. And especially older pops. Like when a client comes in and they're like, you young guys, you just don't know what it's like to look down the, the barrel of a surgery table and have to know that hip replacements are coming around. And I'm like, I've had three of them. And they're like, you, you what? <laughs> I'm like, I've had three of them. And I, I know exactly what you've gone through. And they're like, well, I'm in the right place then. Where do I sign? And it's like, okay. I mean, we get, we cut through all the bullshit, right? And all the, you know, are you the right person? As soon as I'm like, I've had cancer twice. I've gone through that. And, and I, I've had multiple clients, eight or nine that have gone through like treatment cancer. And, and I, I got you. And they're like, oh, you, you have? And I'm like, yeah. I mean, it, they don't need to, we don't need to go through all the background checks and all that. They feel so much more comfortable knowing that I've had the experience either working with someone or done it myself to where they feel this immediate connection. There's, there's, I am empathetic. I understand, right? There's, there's cognitive learning, understanding what I'm saying to you. There's psychomotor learning, the physical moving of the body and doing things. And then there's the affective component. That's the emotional connection between what you're saying to me is, is rational and real. And I believe it. I physically did it. I put that together, but I trusted that you were giving me all the right things. That's the effective, the, the affective, affectionate, deeper connection that you're going to make with your client is why they stay with you forever. Number one, right? They'll stay with you for a long time because they trust you and they value what you're bringing to the table. And all of those three things combined, right? You, they know you're going to explain things well. They know you're going to research. They know that you know how to coach it. But if you don't believe that that's the right thing to do, they're going to sniff that out. And so having those personal experiences, even, even if it's you know, I helped rehabilitate my grandma after she fell down. Like, share that story. Tell that story. If, if you've done anything that you're any injuries yourself, this and that, tell those stories. Like, that's all part of who you are, and that gives them an opportunity to see you. What they don't want is, well, I never eat sugar, and I only eat, you know, skinless chicken and broccoli. And it's like they don't want. They don't. They already know that you're in good shape and you take care of yourself. They don't need to hear all that stuff. They want to hear the part that they can connect with. And why are you the right person for the job? And us being imperfect is completely okay. And it makes us real and it makes us less scary to work with. I'm 6'4", 240. I'm bald and I have a beard. 
Like most people think I'm leading a biker gang than I am working with older people in a gym, right? So they come up and I'm like, I got you guys, don't worry. And the little old ladies are like, okay, we'll trust you, you know? And it's like, you got to win them over instantly and not have them be afraid and concerned that you're not going to point them in the right direction. This is how you do it. Be you, share you, share your experiences and learn as much as you can. Constantly, never, never stop learning or whatever the, the acronym is. Never, never not learn or whatever it is. You keep learning, man. There, we're, there's so much research being done in this field. There's so many things to learn about how we are going to go about getting people stronger. It changes every six months, it seems like. Like, did you, you, you heard of flywheel training two years ago? Nobody knew about those. No, I've got two of them in my gym. <laughs> like, like and in most places still don't have them, but in, in four or five years, everyone will have one of those, you know? Like it's just we're, our our industry is constantly changing, so you have to change with it, or you'll be obsolete. And you, uh, I mean, you, I would say you found your niche also kind of found you, right? This like specific group that really spoke to you, and obviously just your life experiences. Yep. For coaches and trainers who are, you know, they're they're in that that phase of their career where they're trying to build, they're trying to figure out where they fit and where they're going to go and grow. Um, when when or is a niche important? Right. Obviously it's afforded you some specific opportunities in the industry, yeah. but how do you feel about that? Is a niche necessary to be I, I think at some point? Kind of. Yeah. I mean, at some point I, I always kind of made the analogy of like speed dating, you know, you're like, well, here's uh, you know, here's uh, youth and here's older adults and here's, you know, pregnant women and here's uh, clients with disease and then here's sports performance and you've got you can all the way down to like trx and you know kettlebell training like you can have even just equipment niches right at some point just do a little bit of all of that train a little bit of all of it, experience all of it and one of the one of those or a couple of those are going to call to you you know you're gonna be like oh, i mean i really liked training this lady while she was you know pre uh pregnancy and then postpartum. I really enjoyed that 18 months. And then she stayed with me and we trained two more years and then she had another baby and we got to go through that process all over again. I really enjoyed that. I mean, there's lots of trainers out there that specialize in that. And it doesn't mean that they only train pregnant women. It means that they train pregnant women through the program. And then that person becomes their client and they may get opportunities to do both, but that's an area of expertise that they have. And it makes people feel good about going there, you know? So you're not going to know what you're interested in or what you like or what your niche might be unless you go out and try them all. And so, especially in the beginning, I say like the first two to five years, like just train anybody, everybody, all of them, Tra get as many certifications as you can go out to as many conferences as you can get exposed to all anything, everything. And there's going to be something that really starts to call to you. And if that's what you're thinking about when you wake up every day, like, ah, oh, man, Joan's coming in today and Joan's like 80, right? And you're like, I can't, I want to help improve her gait today so she doesn't fall down by Christmas time, right? Or whatever it is. If that's what you're thinking about, because that's what I think about. If that's what that. you're thinking about, <laughs> right? Then that's the, probably the direction that you should go. And, and follow, follow your emotions with that. Not necessarily. So my example is I got a buddy that does boot camp. He's really good at it. He hates it. So, I mean, he's, he's great at it. He makes an amazing living at it, but he doesn't like it. He doesn't look forward to doing it, but he's really good at it, right? And so it's like, that's kind of like a job to me. And I want a career. Like, I want something that I look forward to going to every day. And if I can find something that rewards me the way that his boot camp does, but it's what I love to do every day, then I then you're not working, you know? Everybody knows that saying. 
you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. It's kind of true. Like I don't get up and I'm like, son of a bitch, I got to go into the gym because my work is right here. That's my house. (laughs) There's the laundry basket. The bunker, baby. Right here, man. Yeah, we're right here. So it's like I get to go to work, but I'm 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 still so excited to come in and do this every day. I think it's because I picked the right thing, but I listened to that because I, I was okay at other stuff. But this one in particular, it called to me. I encourage you to do the same. When you uh when you first started though, what did you think? I mean, I, I know a lot of us get in exactly. thinking we're thinking we're gonna have a niche, probably athletes, right? If you're if yeah. you're a male. Um yeah. I thought I was gonna be this awesome throws strength coach and I was going to make all these great athletes and they were all going to go to the Olympics and I was going to be a famous throws coach. And I got to work with one and I was terrible at it. (laughs) I was really bad (laughs) at it. (laughs) And I loved the throws and I loved to coach and I did it for two years and I just wasn't any good at it. But at that same time, I picked up like 16 clients as a side hustle, my side job that I was just like, I'll do this to make money, you know? And they were all over 50 and they all had injuries and they were all thriving. And eventually I got to a point where I'm like, I think I'm just a hell of a lot better at that. Like, why am I fighting this? And I was still in that mindset of like, I'm a strength coach. I'm not a personal trainer. And I had to drop that too and be like, there's nothing wrong with being a personal trainer. But you know what? I'm going to be the best, you know, effing personal trainer that that people can, like when they think of that word, they're not going to think like, oh, you're a personal. They're going to be like, I want to be a personal trainer like that guy. Like, that's what I wanted to be. Like you. I think of you as the tip of the spear. Like there's there's no other trainer I look at and I'm like, someone's more professional than Joe. You're the fucking man. Like I'm love that. <laughs> one of my heroes in this. Mark Nutting, right? There, there are trainers that we look at and we're like, that's that's someone that I respect and I look up to. And, and I there are and those are personal trainers. You don't have to be a strength coach. I love Mike Boyle. I respect the shit out of him. He's a strength coach. He's also a personal trainer. He does a ton of personal training. He's 100%. a fantastic personal trainer. Yeah, there's always there's always a little bit of a veil when you first get into the industry. And I, I 100%, I mean, I'm sure there's dozens of people out there, hundreds who say the same thing. I was going to be, uh, you know, train athletes. And then like you said, though, I think the great thing is you get in, you try it. I think that's the great thing about training because there are so many environments. And I got to work with the athletes in my undergraduate college. I was working in a like sports performance, physical therapy, speed clinic you know, back in like 2007, eight, when I first got you know certified and I was like, mm, okay, I guess I don't like it as much as I thought I did. You know, there's a difference. You improve someone's 40 time, right. You know, by like point something, not nearly as rewarding as Joan, right. Helping Joan not, you know, not fall. So I, I love that. I think, like you said, though, leaning into how you feel about it, being willing to try things and being willing to change your mind on what you thought you wanted to do once you start doing it. And it's, and it's okay too. If you're like, I think I'm into this and four years later, it's something different. That's okay. I mean, that's just part of the, that's part of the path. You know, a a lot of this stuff will happen for a reason. You know, I, I went to school and took tons of biomechanic classes because I wanted to learn about leverage because when you're throwing, that's what you're doing. You, you lever the hammer, you lever the discus, all that leverage mechanic work helps me so much now with my clients when they're squatting, when they're hinging, they're propping especially when we're working with artificial parts. It's, it's my original intention to how I was going to use that material was that wasn't even in the back of my mind, you know? And now it's like the most important thing that I probably learned in school and how I apply it in here with my clients. So everything and anything that you're learning, it's going to be actionable at some point. That's not four wasted years that you spent trying to be an athletic coach. You learned a ton there. 
And we do all kinds of athletic stuff in here, but with a bunch of older people, you know, you need to learn that. My USA weightlifting certification, my clients do cleans and snatches. We don't do barbells. We use dumbbells, right? And, and we can do that. We use fat bells. We use, but it's the same lift. You know, you got to learn that stuff. So it, it's all important. It's all Love important. That. Don't feel like you're wasting any time. And if things change, that's okay. Roll with it. So I want to read you a couple stats and none of these are yeah. probably surprising or new to you, but, um, and then I'll, I'll kind of get where, where I'm going with this too. So, um, and it, you, you do, you know, there's a lot of research studies out there on activity levels across the nation, you know, especially relative to strength training, cardiovascular, and you find slightly different percentages, but you know, in a lot of the research that I was doing kind of wanting to connect with you on some of this stuff, you know, that, uh, less than 30%, and this is taken directly from the uh, American Journal of Preventative Medicine, less than 30% of Americans meet the minimum recommended two times a week strength training recommendations. I was actually surprised. I thought it'd be lower than that. So 30% or less meet the minimum two, whatever that strength training might be. It might not live up to our strength training standards, but uh, without, without saying, and then CDC actually came out earlier this year talking in general about activity. So, you know, adding in the 150 minutes of minimum uh, cardiovascular or just aerobic activity and 28% or less, you know, so again, either way, we're, we're looking at like 30% or less of people are actually meeting the minimum requirements, which I think you and I would probably know and agree that even for the minimum requirements might not be enough to have the impact on things like sarcopenia and these later yeah. stages that we're looking at. So my question for you with those stats, and I'm going to link, you know, for those who are listening, I'll link you guys to those specific articles and studies in the uh, show notes. Where do you think we're failing as an industry, right? As personal trainers, as a personal train industry, health and fitness industry, where do you feel that we're missing the mark? If like, if obviously the stats show that, right? So we're obviously not having an impact on enough people. Um, what do you think? Where do you feel like we're failing as an industry? I'm curious if those stats, number one, are pre-pandemic, because I bet you those numbers are even worse post. I bet you they're way worse because they, they are they are pre yeah, they are pre-pandemic. One of the yeah. one of the research studies with 2018, one of them, some of the data was during the pandemic, which I found interesting. Um, so yeah, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think it's even worse now, probably, because everybody just sat down for two to three years and especially the older pops. Where we're failing, I I mean, not, I, I don't want to cross into any politic lines or anything, but I think just generally speaking, like a lot of the marketing and commercialization of what is healthy is, is spun in such a way where a lot of people just feel like that's not achievable. You know, when we think that person is exceptionally healthy, I think everybody gets an image of a guy or a girl with six pack abs and a tan running on a beach and they look amazing, right? And regular folks can be super healthy and not look like that, right? I mean, the majority of people that are the health experts don't look like that. And if they do, it's for a couple of days to take that photo, right? That is then doctored and et cetera. So I, I, think, that, I think that a lot of it is just unreasonable uh, expectation that we've put through commercialization on magazine covers, on in movies and everything else. And I think that a lot of people are comparing themselves to that and they're like, well, I have no chance. I have no shot. What's the point? What's the purpose? And it's getting a re-educated mindset to understand that there are very high levels of, of health and, and fitness and function. And you don't look like that. You know, I am, I am clinically obese at 240 pounds, six, four for me. 
I'm supposed to be like 189 and there's no way <laughs> like I would be so gangly. <laughs> we have to cut off body like, parts. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, it's like, and you, I mean, you with your thighs too, you know what I'm talking about? Like you're so dense, dude. You're, there's no way you're, you're within the healthy BMI. No, I'm, I'm overweight. Age. I'm definitely overweight. Yeah. And, but you would look at both of us and go, those guys aren't, those guys are in good shape, you know? And, and so it's like getting that expectation of, we don't have to, to look like that, to represent an image of health. And that, Something as, and reason they use two days a week in those studies is that's the minimum to make change, right? Some of the studies show even one day a week. My dad was a great example of that. He came here every Wednesday and he just continued to progress. But the days he trained, he felt great for the next three days and he would just continue to do stuff. He'd be more active. He'd go out and do more. And so that was kind of part of his training. But then we add in a second day, you know, a Wednesday and a Saturday, things would take off. So it's like, if you could just get two days in, things would level up so much. And people also think of fitness as, well, you have to see muscles. Well, no. What if you're just sleeping better, thinking better, feeling better? You know, you're energetic. You just want to go do more. You're more pleasant to be around. That's all healthy. That's all better. I think we're just failing in like creating the image of what truly healthy is, you know? And it's just not eating processed sugar, eating like you want to live longer, eating like a grown up. you know, being active every day. Get off your ass for 30 minutes. You got 168 hours in a week. Can you, can you take like four or five of those and go be active? You know, I saw a clip with Arnold. They were interviewing him. It's, it kind of made its rounds. And, and he was like, oh, you don't have time. Poor baby, right? And he goes, <laughs> he goes, uh, you don't have time. Like you can't make time to, to take care of your body. That's the thing carrying you through life. And you're not going to prioritize time to take care of it. Like maybe you should learn to manage your time better. You know, like the simplicity is that like, dude, this is the vehicle driving you through life. You should take care of it. You know, how long do you want to stay here? It's so it's simple. It's just difficult to do. It's difficult to find the motivation. And a yeah. lot of times that's where we come in. We are the commitment. We're the financial investment. We're the reliability. We're the accountability. We're the direction and the know-how. We're the fear of injury. We're the lack of a friend. We're the lost spouse. We're the other place to go. We are the energy and the belief of someone in them. A lot of people are missing all of those, some of those, one of those, and we can fill that gap. I'm closer with probably three or four of my female clients than I am with my own mom. I was thinking that well, when you were yeah. talking about having clients for 20 years, the, the first yeah. thing that came into my head is like, I know, I was like, you spend more time with them than you do family members. You know, I, I have, you know, hundred percent, I have clients that I've seen, you know, 10 times more than I've seen my brother in the last like year or two. Right. It's just, it's, it's crazy how close you get. Yeah. And and you're in vulnerable situations and you're dealing with real life things and people share with you and you share with them and your family, man, your little community. It's a little subculture of your people. You know, these are Joe's people and it's a whole little community of people and they're all tied together because of you and you're awesome. And so that community has this all, this all great energy because what do we all share? We all share Joe. That feeling is for every trainer out there. They all have these little communities of people that all get tied together and they all do things together. They go on walks and they do community events and they do all this stuff because of you guys, because of you individuals that are giving them this extra care that they are probably not getting or lacking from somewhere else. And it's a beautiful thing. Increasing the vertical jump is awesome. Not going to tenth off your hundred. It's cool. But changing someone's life like that, that's why we do this. And that's, That's why I use that word Dharma. Dharma is purpose in life. This is my Dharma. And if anything that I just said connects with you, draws any kind of emotion, it's your Dharma too.
I love that. And for the people, I mean, obviously, you know, in the show notes, I'm going to make sure that everyone listening gets connected to you training with the older adult, um, all the education, everything that you're doing, because you have such great resources, your YouTube channel, which we were talking about, you know, even before getting on here, you know, this video will be on YouTube if people are watching it. So you'll have the opportunities to check those out. So aside from education, obviously, I know you guys fill the gap in a huge way for people on understanding the needs, the practicality, the application, the training, like literally everything. But just from approaching working with an older clientele, right, for someone who's listening, who maybe is thinking right now, like, oh, yeah, gosh, I just took on like maybe a couple of clients over the age of 60, 70, and they don't have a ton of experience with that individual. What like off the cuff in the moment advice would you give them as far as just like what to focus on, how to approach that person, um, anything that comes to mind, like what would you tell them? Three lifts, hinges, rows, carries. Just include those in every workout. Think of the most simplistic version of each of those. And when your client gets exceptional at that, progress them to the next one. It's, it's not rocket science. I know we, we you know, kind of joke with that all the time. Every client that's going to be in front of you is different and they're going to have different limitations. So I can't just tell you like, here's exercise one, here's exercise two. I'll give you direction with that. You know, I have an idea. I have 15 lifts that are all hinges in a row. And I think this is the first and the second and the third, but it might be different from person to person. But I know I need to hinge because I know they need to pick up their shoes and pick up their groceries. We're going to hinge a hundred plus times a day. Okay. I know they need to row. They're going to pull things towards them. And then they're going to transfer that thing somewhere else. They're going to walk over there. Once they get over there, they're going to reverse row it. They're going to put it back and then they're going to walk away. Okay. And we do that. If you just look at like the basic simplicities of what we do every day, we do hundreds of those. If you work in a gym, you do thousands of those. I'm picking up stuff, bringing it to someone, <laughs> hand it to them. I take it back. I bring it, but we do that all day long. Right. And so if we look at that we're like, well, here's just the foundation of what I want to do with this person. I want them to be exceptional at hinging. I want them to be exceptional at rowing and I want them to be able to transfer weight back and forth. And especially if they have gait issues, if they're shufflers, if they're wobblers, if they're night of the walking deads, right. And you're worried about them falling down. You'll be shocked how carrying a weight in one hand and nothing in the other hand helps ground them and helps extend out their gait to where they almost look like they're walking normal. When you give them two weights, those weights counter each other and they probably get more density, more bone density work out of that because it's a heavier load, but it doesn't ground them as much because they have a counterweight in the other hand. So now basically this hang on and they could still even shuffle along. But when you take one of those weights away, the engagement they have to do to maintain and hold and stay vertical, it grounds them, more muscles will activate to not fall over, so anti-rotation or anti-tilt, right? Will ground them and then when they go to carry, they don't want to waddle or move or shift side to side because it's extra work. They wanna just walk long and straight and in, as, in, in as good of a line as they can. And all of a sudden, like, like something clicks. And now I'll show them a recording. I use my phone constantly. I'll record them and I'll go, look what you can do, right? And I'll show them and they're like, wow. And I go, here's how you came in. And I'll show them them drive, walking up the driveway, right? Waddling along. And I'm like, so you can do this. You've just defaulted to that, right? Yeah. So just start with those basics. Just do those three lifts every day. And you can do auxiliary work and other stuff, curls and extend. All that stuff's important. But those three, those are the foundation of every workout. And that just branches a little bit more and a little bit more. It's so simple. Just train those three things. You'll make huge gains with them. And, and I already know there's like, you just took, I don't know how long you've been training now, Robert, you said 20 years plus 20, 22 years. Yeah. 22 years. So there's 22 years of experience 
deciphered down into three things. To me, that's always it's always a good indication of someone who also has put a lot of thought into how they program, they train, but also even just the teaching element. And so hopefully those who are listening pick up on that because like, you know, I mean, you just, you just simplified a lot of things for a lot of people with those three. And I know there's a lot of complex science and understanding physiology that goes into it, but I like it. Hinge, carry, pull, repeat. We, our original like outline had like 18 things that we had to do in every workout. And then we were like, well, that's a little excessive. Some of these are a little <laughs> overlapping and we got down to like 10 and then we got it down to eight. And now we're like, I think these three pretty much cover it. And then after those three, it's like, okay, where, what else can we fill in here? But in the beginning, that, that's, that's 90% of their movement pattern right there. Let's just get really good at that. And we'll, we'll I love grow. that. I love that. I got two, I got kind of two more areas that I want to tap your brain on a little bit. One of those, especially for trainers who are listening, who are newer. And I think a lot of coaches, when they coaches, trainers, whatever you want to call yourself, personal trainers, that's what we are. They get in. I think that they're aware that they want and that they need mentorship, but they don't really know to go. They don't know how to go about finding it. So aside from like listening to this podcast and following someone like you, what would you suggest? You know, you're working with a new trainer. They're looking for mentorship. How do they go about finding that or seeking it out? You know, at the time, like when you and I were kind of coming up, how, how old are you? You're 40? I will be, I'll be 36, uh, this 36. year. Okay. Yep. So I'm a little heady. I'm, I'm turning 43 this year. So when I was kind of coming up 2000 to 2005, we had perform better and mm -hmm. they're, they're still around obviously now, but yep. they were kind of the place. Like if you needed an expert, you would go to these perform better events and you, you would find an Alan Cosgrove or a Mike Boyle or a Todd Durkin or a Martin Rooney and, you would find someone that had an area of expertise that was close to what you were doing. And you go, Oh, you know, I, I can go and learn from that person. The internet existed. It just wasn't as dynamic or easily as, as accessible as it is now. Now you can kind of search anything and everything, you know, find an expert or a certificate or a article or something. And, and like, I read one the other day, it was like, uh, adolescent boys who swim the 800 meter in reverse with a blindfold on. It was like a program for them. And you're like, geez, really? You're like, this is specific. <laughs> That's deep. Yeah. This is like, it's really specific. specific. There's information out there for that. So it's <laughs> like, you can find stuff on anything from tactical to pregnancy to older adult to youth to sports performance. There's people out there. You just got to search them out. And then even when you get there, you're going to find four or five, six different options of people. I kind of the same thing, speed date them, check them all out, see who's Who's you, whose personality and, and teaching style you're going to jive with? Because because some people like Jocko and they want to have you. you know, this is the you know this is what men do and they drive it. And then others are going to be like, <laughs> let me explain it. Let me be a little more emotional, a little more tactful. And then others are going to go deep into the science. And you're going to be like, okay, I get it. Like you're, <laughs> there's been so many different ways to learn this. Find the one that speaks to you. And there's nothing wrong with any of them. It's just which one speaks to you. I don't like to be screamed at. I don't like to be yelled at. I don't like to be called a maggot. I, I never liked that boot camp style scream. I'm not that guy. I'm, I want you to come over and go, I believe in you. And I think you can do this. Now show me that you can, right? And give me the tools to help me do that. I, I will work hard. And so find coaches that will deliver that style of teaching to you, right? But if you need to be yelled at, or if you need direction, or if you need more science or whatever it is, find those. Cause you've got so many options. We have so many options now. Even if you just search for the book and then look at all the books, half of those people have websites that offer mentoring, right? So there's lots of ways. And just ask. It could be as simple as finding the guy at the gym that you train at and you're like, I want to do what that guy's doing. Just go talk to him. Just go ask him. Like, I, I don't think I've ever been told like, no, I'm not going to share my trade secrets with you. Like, I don't think ever anyone, I think someone's been like, 
yeah, I, I got a really busy schedule. Can you, you know, shift some times around so we can meet up? Like I've had that. But I don't think anyone's ever just like blatantly told me no. Our industry wants to grow. It wants more people in it. Even though we might look at each other as competition. What do we just say? 30% of this country, really, it's more like 15%, okay? Yeah. Are really out of shape and need us. So, okay, you got 380 million people. So we're looking at like, like 300 million people that need us. And there's about 250,000 trainers uh, by the IRS standards. So I'd say that's like 800 clients that each of us could have. We I think there's plenty. plenty of business out there. Yeah. I don't <laughs> think that's something we got to concern ourselves with, with knocking off competition. So I mean, just go ask, man. There, people are more than willing to help and more than willing I, to share and to help you move along. And you may work with them someday or for them someday. You never know. You're, you're, you're spot on. When I first moved down to South Florida, um, you know, I'd been following JC Santana for a long time. Right. I mean, he was, he was the guy. And then I realized he was like two miles away and reached out and he was willing to meet me the next day. You know, then I couldn't escape from his office. I was in there for two hours, you know, just get downloading everything this guy had. But, I mean, this was, did you meet there? What other yeah. trainers did you meet there? Yeah, Nick Tominello. Yeah, Nick, Nick Tominello. My business partner, Paul Christopher. We ended up opening a gym together. Um, yeah. All from that, like you said. And I ended up, you know, obviously had a great relationship there with with JC. And then I ran my business out of there, met my business partner. So, like, I think, like you just mentioned, just talking to people, um, even how we met, you know, it was like I was at an NSCA conference and I'm like, I'm just going to go talk to this guy and see, like, what can I learn? How can I get involved? And every time I've done that, people have, you know, opened, open multiple doors and great things happen. Yeah. I mean, we served together on the, the personal trainers, special interest group. We were both chairs of that group. We both came up through that program. We did volunteer work. I mean, that's, you know, one of the, one of the highlights and the, the best parts of my career was getting involved with the organization. I'm on the board for the NSCA now. I never thought that was going to happen. You know, I'm the personal training rep for the, the, the organization. Everyone's sitting there in suits and ties, all these researchers and teachers. And I'm sitting there in my, in my t-shirt and gym shorts going, <laughs> hey, hey, the trainer's here, right? But I mean, 15 years ago, it was like, I want to, how can I get involved with that? And I want to go up there and look at all the great people I've met. You go to a conference and you go up and speak to a presenter. They'll give you their business card. They'll give you their email address. And next thing you know, you're connected to that person. You're emailing them. You're exchanging ideas. That happens over and over and over again with every single event. I just put up a picture the other day on Instagram of all the events that I've attended, the tags. I kept my name tag on all of them. I got a stack of them, right? I've got 150 of these things I've gone to. At every one of those events, I met five, six, seven different people that I'm connected to on a regular basis, yourself included. It's awesome. Yeah. And with that being said too, your work inside the personal training industry. Obviously, we've talked a lot today about training the older adult and your passion for killing sarcopenia and all that you know is related and connected to it, the root of all evil, as you said. But let's just say, hypothetically, right? Obviously, you're committed to the industry at large and personal trainers getting better and, and bettering the industry for trainers and clients. I know that because that's how we met and that reflects some of the roles that you play in the industry now with the NSCA and other organizations. Let's say you have the ability right now, we're live, we're broadcasting to all the personal trainers, especially those in their first three, four years of the industry. And you're able to tell them one thing, right? As we move forward into the industry, you're able to give either one piece of advice um, or one directive. What would that, what would that be? Pressure's on. Pressure is on because this could be taken in a few ways, Okay. There is some mindset, and I know some people disagree with this, but I always thought about some type of um, 
not not an actual union, but some type of organization that connected all personal trainers to where we could ask for health insurance and we could ask for retirement and things that we would have to pay into and invest. But because there's a huge collection of us, that's where a lot of the powers of the unions kind of come from, is that they're a mass collection of people that all pay into something and you get bargains on the other end. So independent trainers, we could all, we'd have to buy our own health insurance, but because there's a ton of us, we could get it at a better rate, like something along those lines, right? We could all get a retirement plan, but instead of paying full price independently, we could pay. So if there's like a way to look at that and be like, how can we all kind of unite to bring more legitimacy to this profession and longevity to it where people that come into it stay here? And I think that's probably where I'll actually answer it is you have to learn how to stay in this profession. The passion to be here is what gets you through the door, okay? But beyond that, you can't just go, I don't want to sell. I don't want to work the desk. I just want to train people. You're not going to last, dude. You're not going to last. You have to learn. Selling is not a four-letter word. I mean, it is. But you, to, to think negatively about that, I don't want to be a car salesman. Then don't use car salesman tactics, right? Yeah. I am gen, I'm as genuine as it gets. What am I worth an hour? I'm worth $50. Do I buy 100 of those? Do I get them for cheaper? If I buy 10, is it 45? No. Why? Because I know what I'm worth it's that simple. You buy more, you buy less. Okay. But how many of you out there are adjusting your rates because the client's going to invest longer? Why are you going to do a worse job? No, you're going to deliver a great service. Well, what's that service worth once $70? Well, if I buy 10 of them, why is it 50? Does that not make any sense? If I go to my doctor 10 times, is it cheaper? Hey, fuck no. <laughs> like, nope. that's, that's, No way, dude. Do, if I buy 10 cars, is the last one cheaper? No, like there's value. So you need to hold value as a professional, right? You need to learn what you're worth. You need to learn how to improve yourself so you can charge for more. You have to learn how to talk to people. You have to learn that there are different personalities of people you're going to work with. You have to learn that there are different tactics for those personalities and how those people are going to want to perceive you and your services. You're going to have to understand there's certain people that aren't going to jive with you, that are going to look at you and say, I don't want to work with that guy. And you have to be okay with it, right? These are all things you're going to have to learn in the world of being a professional is that we're not one size fits all. We're not built for everyone, but you have to have some standards for who you are, how you want to conduct yourself and how you want to be in this profession so you can stay here because you have to learn how to be a business person to stay in this profession. And if you can make it three to five years, that's kind of the break point. If you make it five years, you're here forever, right? But if that three to five year, you're like, I don't know, maybe I can make more money going to work for my father-in-law or whatever, right? Then you're, you're probably not going to make it. And that's the hard part. That's probably one of the biggest efforts I've had with the NSCA is to try to bring more info on how to stay here because I don't want people dropping off every year. I want the profession to just keep growing. We've been at 250,000 on the IRS for like 15 years. Every year, it's the same number. Why are we not growing? Because people just can't hang. They can't stay. You know, They don't know what to do to stay here. We need more business education and, and business fitness education to help people stay. And then once you're here for a while, how to run your business successfully and then invest in your future and be able to retire like anybody else. Here's your watch, you know, sail off into the sunset, go sit on your porch, right? Where most trainers are going to train until they're 90 and then they're going to die in the gym. You know, like, I don't want that either. I want you to have retirement. So it's like to answer the question, very big, <laughs> to make a bigger answer, big to short learn how to be a really successful business person. Let the passion of what you do mix in with that knowledge. Don't worry about money, okay? Because when you obsess over money, that's your only priority. Obsess over the person in front of you, money will follow that.
If you're exceptional at what you do, money will follow it. I guarantee it. Now you're passionate about what you're doing. You're completely in love with the people you're working with and they'll pay you accordingly because you hold yourself to standards. This is me shaking hands with you saying, I'm worth $50 an hour. And you go, yes, you are. Here's our handshake. We're agreeing to do this. I'm not here to serve you and bring you water and wipe your brow when you get sweaty, right? That's, that's what I'm talking about. You have to have respect for yourself as a professional and to stay here. And you've got a very good mentor right here who's teaching you how to do that and bringing on people that share their ways. Well, those, we, uh, those five-year plusers, I think a lot of them will say the same thing. And when we have you, I have no doubt we will. When we have you back on the podcast, we'll have to dive more specifically into that because yeah. I know we're both passionate about that and, and that's uh, a big gap for a lot of people. But for those who have been listening and connected with everything that you've talked about in regards to you know, the, the, the life and path that you've crafted inside the industry, or even some of the things you were just speaking about now with building your business, where can they best connect with you? Where are you most active? Give us, you know, I'm going to link to some of these things as well, but those, for those who are listening, where are they most active uh, or where can they most likely connect with you specifically? Uh, Instagram is probably the place where I'm most active at in terms of posting content and such our YouTube channel. So you can find me, Robert Lankel on Instagram, Robert Lankel on YouTube. And then um, trainingtheolderadult.com is our website. And uh, we've got a ton of good stuff on there. So pop on. If, you, if you're curious, like, oh, what's on the website? If we just signed up for membership, look at our YouTube. And it's like 10,000 of those. <laughs> it's like it's a list of content <laughs> on every little thing you can think of. We've got tons of stuff in there. But I love YouTube. I love being able to get on there and like share some general information and dive deep on a couple of things. We do that, but just a whole bunch more and a lot deeper stuff programming, coaching, progression, certificates, everything. We've got all kinds of great stuff on there. So if this is an area of interest for you, check us out, you know, follow us on Instagram, on YouTube. We'd love to connect with you. Appreciate the time. Thank you for having me on here. And I hope you all enjoyed it. And I'd love to come back and do Q and a or what and talk business, whatever, man. I, I love this. You can tell I always got something to say. <laughs> so I am happy to get on and chat anything for you, buddy. I'm always, I'm always here. I love that. And like I said, I'll make sure for, for all those that are listening, I'm going to link, uh, all those, uh, all those sites and, and social media profiles in the description. So, uh, if you're listening to this, whether it's Apple podcast, it's Google podcast, wherever podcasts are Spotify. Um, also keep in mind, this is also on YouTube. So if you want to get a peek into the bunker where Robert is right now, you'll recognize that once you get over to the YouTube channel as well. Um, a lot of great stuff, but, uh, I appreciate you coming on Robert and I look forward to having you back again.